Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the completion, the fulfillment of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Of course, naturally, the theme of the show tends to usually have a kind of a Jewish slant to it, but today we're in the very beautiful feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I can't let that go by without celebrating it. So today's show will have, uh, well, it will center on a young Jewish woman, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary, but it will center on her involvement uh, in in uh, Central America, in, in Mexico, and her appearance at Guadalupe. So I'm afraid the only Jewish connection will be the fact that she, in fact, <laughs> is Jewish. Although, of course, she's also uh, Mexican, and she's also Japanese, and she's also African, because she's all of our blessed mother. But anyway, so my plan for today was to read a beautiful account of the apparition at Guadalupe, and uh, I think I'll probably be able to get through it, and uh, just use it as an opportunity to pray to her. Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patroness of the Americas, and um, we're in a very delicate time in the United States in terms of the body politic, and in fact today there is is a major um, rally going on in Washington, D.C., to try to um, encourage the correct kind of behavior. So we certainly want to ask our Blessed Mother's um, intervention, intercession, for her to amplify our prayers for a happy and free and just future for our country that will enable as many people as possible to get to heaven. So with that little preamble, let me start reading. I'll be reading an account that um, comes from a brother, Michael, that I got off of a website called Catholicism.org, and it's clearly uh, a beautifully devout um, and faith-filled account of what happened, but it really happened. (laughs) I mean, sometimes apparitions and visions and so forth, we have to trust the integrity and the honesty of the person who relates them. But in the case, of course, of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I I hope you all know that, she left behind a physical relic, so to speak, which is so spectacularly miraculous that it does serve as pretty much absolute, scientific, rational, materialistic evidence of the truth that she did in fact appear in Mexico, in what's now Mexico City in 1531, and she turned around the future of the Americas, actually. So let me begin the account. First of all, before I begin the account, let me read a short, short, short passage of what she said at one point to Juan Diego. Juan Diego was the um, Indian who received the apparition. You'll hear it in the story if you don't already know it. But at one point, Our Lady said to him, Listen and let it penetrate your heart. 
Do not be troubled or weighed down with grief. Do not fear any illness or vexation, anxiety or pain. Am I not here, who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not your fountain of life? Are you not in the folds of my mantle, in the crossing of my arms? Is there anything else you need? So anyway, let that be our theme, our motto for today. Um, for many years I carried it in my wallet, in fact, a little, a little typed out account of it. Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not your fountain of life? Are you not in the folds of my mantle, in the crossing of my arms? How could you possibly need anything else? So, let me go back to 1531 and begin with the account. It was about 10 years after, if I remember correctly, the conquistadors, the Spanish missionaries and soldiers, arrived in Mexico. When they arrived there, they found a uh, very bloodthirsty and pagan Aztec culture that engaged in massive human sacrifices, sometimes tens of thousands in a day. And um, and so now we're about 10 years after that. I will at some point in my in my reading get to a little flashback to the world into which Our Lady appeared. But the first apparition took place on December 9th, 1531. Okay. Um, Juan Diego awoke before sunrise. It was Saturday, Our Lady's Day, the 9th of December, the first day in the octave of the Immaculate Conception, 1531, and quite cold in the mountains of Mexico at that time of year. Wrapping his cloak or tilma about him, Juan sat out alone from his new home to the neighboring village of Tlatelolco, six miles south. He was on his way to Mass, which he had faithfully attended every Saturday and Sunday since his conversion six years earlier. It was a long journey for anyone to make two days in a row. It's 24 miles of walking, and his aging limbs were beginning to feel the toll. The trip seemed so much longer since his wife, Maria Lucia, had died two years ago. Now he walked the road alone. But being alone had its advantages. It gave him time to think about and talk to God. The good friars had taught him well how to do that. It was still dusk, not too far from dawn, as he approached to Piak Hill. Here, not so long ago, stood the gory temple of the Aztec's mother goddess. It was just a memory now, as were all their false deities. Suddenly, his thoughts were interrupted by music, very wonderful music, descending from atop the slope of the hill. It sounded like a mellifluous chirping of sweetly singing birds. It was a melody such as he had never heard. The tones began to grow more enchanting, filling the air around him, and so enrapturing his soul that he began to doubt whether it was possible for a man in this fragile life to relish such exquisite harmony and remain in the flesh. Is it I, he wondered, who has this good fortune to hear what I hear? Perhaps I am only dreaming. Where am I? Is this perhaps the earthly paradise hidden from the eyes of men? 
The ravished Indian squinted his eyes to scan the hilltop. When to his utter astonishment, a cloud glowing with dazzling whiteness appeared just above the crest, while a magnificent rainbow, formed by its resplendent rays, emblazoned everything around it. Then abruptly the celestial sing ceased. A voice was heard from within the cloud. It was the voice of a young woman, a tender voice, calling his name most affectionately Juanito, Juan Diego. It was an enduring expression, reverently diminutive, that a fond mother would use for her child. English would render a dear little Juan. Totally perplexed, the 57-year-old Juanito clambered up the rocky incline to see who it was who so sweetly addressed him. Strangely, though, there was no fear in him. He was supremely confident and intoxicated with exuberance. As he reached the summit, the voice gently bade him to draw near. Doing so, he found himself face to face with a woman of incomparable loveliness, whom he described simply as a most beautiful lady. Her garment shone so brilliantly that the entire mountain was transformed by the reflection of her glory. The rocks became as precious gold, the earth sparkled like emeralds and multicolored jewels. Even the shrubs and prickly pears were splattered with a sheet of color, as though their thorns had been changed into stained glass. She was young, perhaps fourteen, her expression most affable and encouraging. She motioned Juan to come closer. Advancing a step or two, he sank to his knees, overwhelmed by the loveliness of the vision. The lady spoke. My son, Juan Diego, whom I tenderly love as a little one and weak, where are you going? He replied, My holy one, my lady, my mistress, I am on my way to your house at Letecoloco. I go in pursuit of the holy things which our priests teach us. His holy one, the noble lady, then revealed her will, saying, quote, Know, my son, my much beloved, that I am the ever-Virgin Mary, mother of the true God, who is the author of life, the creator of all things, the Lord of heaven and earth, present everywhere. And it is my wish that here there be raised to me a temple in which, as a loving mother to thee and those like thee, I shall show my tender clemency and compassion I feel for the natives and for those who love and seek me, for all who implore my protection, who call on me in their labors and afflictions, and in which I shall hear their weeping and their supplications, that I may give them consolation and relief, that my will may have its effect. You must go to the city of Mexico and to the palace of the bishop who resides there to tell him that I have sent you and that I wish a temple to be raised to me in this place. You shall report what you have seen and heard and be assured that I will repay what you do for me for I will make you great and renowned. Now you have heard, my son, my wish. Go in peace. Use all of the strength that you have. Juan bowed low in humble obeisance and said, I go. I go, my most noble lady and mistress, to do as a humble servant that, what, that which you have ordered. Farewell. 
After Juan had spoken to Our Lady, he straightway sent out on his mission as a most obedient son and took the road leading directly to Mexico. Juan never paused to weigh the pros and cons of his own insufficiency. He just did what he was commanded and he acted promptly. Any obstacles he would face when and where they came. Let me just add a note. All of these events took place in what's now part of Mexico City. Needless to say, it was much smaller then. So um, what is being referred to as Mexico at the time was really just the heart of Mexico City. And Tepeyac Hill, where the apparition itself took place, is really only a few miles away. Back to the text. This Excuse me. Her message was beautiful and simple. She told him that she wanted a church to be built in her honor on this hill in which she would receive and compassionately console all her suffering children. For this purpose, she sent Juan Diego to the Bishop of Mexico to present to him her request. Though he was most faithful in his mission, the lowly messenger was not believed. Finally, Our Lady gave him a sign to take to the bishop, a bouquet of flowers that she had caused to spring miraculously from the hilltop's frozen winter soil. This is a summary, so I will skip the summary. And as a matter of fact, um, okay, I'll, I'll skip some of the summary and go back. Now, I'm going to the background of um, what... There's Tepeyac Hill, the spot where the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared um, at the time of the apparition in uh, 1531. Let me describe the setting, the background of it. When the Spaniards arrived in 1519, that's only 12 years earlier, the Aztec Empire was out, outwardly impressive but inwardly faltering under the cruel tyranny of Montezuma II, a superstitious, ill-fated man whom the people believed to be a descendant of the gods. Far worse than this perverse concept of frugality was the unspeakable cruelty inspired by Satan, which prompted them to appease their stone divinities with human blood. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of victims, usually slaves or prisoners of war, were dragged daily up the temple stairs to the altar of sacrifice, where they had their hearts torn out by hooded priests and offered to some god or goddess. The Aztecs had gods for almost every prominent reality in the world about them and inside them, that is, from the sun and moon above to the passions within. In view of what was to happen there, it is worth mentioning here that the goddess of motherhood a gruesomely bloodthirsty monster whose temple stood on a hill six miles north of the capital called Tepeyac. Her statue is preserved today in the Museum of Mexico City. A mass of writhing snakes encompasses her head. Her sightless eyes betray the unfathomable grief of the oppressed clientele who made her. At the inauguration of her shrine, 80,000 poor Indians were sacrificed. So what's going on here? What's going on here is the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared at the top of Tepeyac Hill, and that is exactly where a shrine to this pagan, bloodthirsty 
monster, demon, goddess of motherhood had her shrine in exactly the same spot. And at the inauguration of her shrine, 80,000 Indians were offered up as human sacrifices. And it's in that very spot where the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared. Um, back to the text. The mightiest of all their hard gods was Quetzalcoatl, the feathered or stone serpent. No other symbol more befits the qualities of the devil than this deadly reptile. This is the form Satan took in the Garden of Paradise when he first infected our race. So too he will be in the same form, as God tells us in Genesis 3, when the woman shall crush his head. Thus, the arch enemy of mankind, who had held these poor souls in such blind captivity for so many centuries, inspired his subjects to render him the highest adoration in the guise that so well befitted him. So back to our main story. Juan Diego uh, ran into, let's say, the Blessed Virgin Mary on the top of Tepeyac Hill. She gave him the commission to go to the bishop and ask him to build a, a shrine, a temple to the Blessed Virgin Mary on that same site. So, um, we find Juan Diego walking along the main avenue in Mexico City, about to arrive at the bishop's house with his urgent message. And Juan, the humble Indian, knelt down as a sign of reference before the bishop. After the bishop greeted him courteously, Juan suppressed his nervousness and related all the wonderful things that had happened, repeating the message of the lady exactly as he remembered it. To all this, the prudent shepherd listened most kindly, without giving any signs of belief. Then the bishop asked Juan various questions, all of which he answered perfectly. Uh, surely the Indian had his wits about him. There wasn't anything odd or unusual in his behavior, nor was there any contradiction in his answers. The bishop was not the type of man to dismiss such matters lightly, but he would need more time to check out the Indian's character. Perhaps also, the bishop was wondering if this might be a, some trick of the devil, from whose dark reign this land had only recently been freed. Deeply saddened by the obvious skepticism of the illustrious bishop, Juan rose to his feet, bowed, and took his leave. When he came to Tepeyac Hill, he found the beautiful lady, just as glorious as before, waiting for him at the summit. Kneeling before her, he painfully acknowledged his failure. Quote, O oh, little one, most dear, my queen and most high lady, I did just what you told me. Though for a long time I was not let in to see the bishop, I finally saw him and gave him your message just as you ordered me. He listened to me with kindness and attention, but from what I noticed in him and from his questions, I gathered that he did not believe me, for he told me to come again that he might inquire at leisure into my affair and examine it more closely. He supposed that the temple you demanded was an imagination or whim of mine, and not your will. I therefore beg of you to send some noble and influential person, someone worthy of respect, to whom credit ought to be given. For you see, O my sovereign lady, that I am but a poor serf, a mere lowly peasant, and that I am not fit for this embassy of yours. Pardon, O queen, my boldness. 
if I have at all failed in the respect due to your greatness, far be it from me to incur your indignation or to displease you by my reply. Looking upon him with the greatest affection, the noble lady smiled tenderly and said, Hear, much beloved son, and understand that I am not without clients and servants to send, for I have many that I might employ, if I so wished, many that would do whatever they were ordered to, but it much befits that you should undertake this affair and conduct it. My wish and desire has to be accomplished by your means. So I ask you, my son, and I order you to go back in the morning and see and speak to the bishop, tell him to erect for me the temple I demand, and say that she who sent you is the Virgin Mary, mother of the true God. At these words, renewed vigor and confidence poured into Juan's heart. He answered, My lady and my child, I will not cause you affliction. I will gladly go to accomplish your will. I will not cease from striving. So tomorrow afternoon, when the sun is setting, I will come to give you a report concerning the reception of your message. With this assurance, let me take leave of you, my little daughter, my child, and my lady. Rest quietly in the meantime until I come again. So the weary ambassador went home, cooked his supper, and apparently, without mentioning to his uncle, with whom he was now living, anything of what had transpired, he went to bed. So that's the close of December 9th. Um, This uh, series of apparitions took place over four days, December 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th. The feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe is, of course, December 12th. So we've just we've just gone through the first day, December 9th, the day after the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Now we're waking up in the morning of December 10th. The next day, Sunday, December 10th, Juan went to Mass and religious instruction and afterwards set down the road for his second encounter with the bishop. Soon he found himself standing again in front of the bishop's palace and knocking at the gate. He was treated much more harshly than the day before. But with his persistent pleading, he wore down their resistance and was again allowed into the courtyard. Once inside, he was told to sit down and wait. He waited and waited and waited, drawing his tilma tightly about him, for it was very cold. One, two, three hours elapsed, and finally the major domo called out his name. Now the bishop would see him. The man of God, having no idea that Juan had been waiting so long, was quite surprised to see the Indian back so soon, and received him with his habitual courtesy. Instantly Juan dropped to his knees and told the curious prelate that he had again seen and spoken to the mother of God, and that she had demanded that the bishop build her the desired church. Then, overcome by his own nervous intensity, The tears started down his cheeks as he implored his lordship to heed the noble lady's request. The bishop was embarrassed at this passionate display and gently consoling Juan, urged him to gain his composure and answer his questions. What did the lady look like? Who did she say she was? Where did she appear? On and on the bishop went. He needed proof that she was indeed who she said she was, and not some illusion of the devil. They must have a sign, he told Juan. Such an expensive and laborious undertaking as the construction of a church requires much more evidence 
that it is truly the mother of God who asks for it. What kind of a sign? Juan asked, totally unruffled by the request. Name any sign at all, and I will ask it of the lady. The bishop paused for a moment and said, Let the lady herself decide it. And with that, Juan was dismissed. Secretly, the bishop instructed two of his attendants to follow the Indian wherever he went, but from a safe and unobservable distance, so that they might see who it was with whom he was conversing. Losing no time, Juan Diego hurried straight for Tapaya Kill to inform his mistress of the outcome of the second meeting. Prostrating himself before his heavenly queen, with great anguish he poured out his heart. No one had believed him, though he had tried his utmost to convince them. Only a sign would move the bishop to act upon the lady's request. So, as a last gesture to please his queen, he asked her if she would not give him some sign. Then he would surely succeed in fulfilling her desire. The beautiful lady, in tones of deepest appreciation and gentleness, thanked her childlike emissary for his efforts. She then promised him to give him the necessary sign, saying, So be it, my son. Return here tomorrow, in order that you may secure for the bishop the sign for which he has asked. When it is in your possession, he will believe you. He will no longer doubt your word and suspect your good faith. Be assured that I shall reward you for all you have undergone. Go now, tomorrow I shall await thee here again. And Our Lady sweetly added, Do not forget me. So with those sweet words, do not forget me. Um, I think we've come to near the halfway point in the show. So I'm going to take a short break. First of all, you've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with your host, me, Roy Showman, here on Radio Maria. And it's the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I've been reading the account of the miraculous apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary from December 9th to December 12th, 1531, which resulted in our devotion to um, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And uh, we have come to the evening of uh, the second day, December 10th. And uh, after the short musical break, we will resume with um, what happened later that night and the next day, December 11th, and then December 12th, and the final victory of uh, Our Lady's message and the building of the shrine and what is now the worldwide devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe and the role that she has as patroness of the Americas. And let us not forget as we're listening to this account, I hope that we're all silently praying with our hearts to Our Lady of Guadalupe, that as she appeared on our continent in 1531 to save it from the ravishes of the demonic presence and religion of the Aztecs, she may also not forget and return to us in her role as patroness of the Americas and save us from whatever demonic <laughs> ravages would otherwise be awaiting us. So with that, let me go to the music, and I will be back in a few moments.
I um, neglected. This is Roy Shoman. I'm back again. You're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And today, being the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I've been uh, reading the account of what happened at the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, I neglected to mention, and I should have, I apologize, that that beautiful chant that we were listening to during the short break was in fact a hymn to Our Lady of uh, Guadalupe. But with that, let us return to the account. So, when we left Juan Diego, it was the late afternoon of December 10th. He had just failed in his second visit to the bishop to uh, convince him to have the shrine or the temple built on the top of Tepeyac Hill. The bishop had said he needed a sign, and Juan Diego, when he returned to the Blessed Virgin Mary, relayed to her that the bishop said he needed a sign, and the Blessed Virgin Mary said, come back tomorrow morning and you will have the sign you need for the bishop. So at this point, Juan Diego went home to his house where he was living with his uncle. However, when he got home, he found out that his uncle was at death's door. Seeing his dear uncle in this terrible condition, Juan was beside himself with grief, for he was the only consolation Juan had on this earth after his wife had died. All that night and all the next day, he sat compassionately by his uncle's bedside, offering him whatever relief he could. Surely, Juan thought, the Holy Virgin would understand why he was unable to keep his appointment that afternoon as he had promised. Soon the sick man became aware that he was not going to recover, and informing his nephew that his time to quit this world was fast approaching, he asked him to leave in the morning for Tlatelolco, that's Mexico City, and bring back a priest with the healing hands that he might confess and be anointed. Very early, before sunrise then, now we're now on December 12th, Juan Diego hustled off on his way to find a priest. It was now Tuesday, the 12th of December. As he drew near the hill where he had spoken to Our Lady, he could not afford to be detained at this time. He had not a moment to lose, or his uncle might die without receiving the sacraments from the priest. So he decided to skirt the hill on his opposite side, a much rougher path, in his hopes of avoiding a confrontation with Our Lady. He thought to slip by unseen by the eyes of her who sees all. Alas, how many times have we not made the same mistake? But as he passed by the hilltop, he could scarcely believe what his eyes beheld. For ahead of him, he saw the Holy Virgin in a blaze of light, gliding effortlessly down the slope on an angle, so as to intercept him. My dear little one, she called to him, where are you going? What road is this that you are taking? Juan was overcome with shame. Utterly confused and at a loss for an explanation, he spontaneously resorted to small talk. My daughter, my dear little one, God keep you, my lady. Did you sleep well? And how is your health? Then, quickly regaining his presence of mind, Juan spoke more soberly about his uncle's sickness and his intention of going to fetch a priest. When he finished speaking, there was a pause. He looked up to see the lovely woman smiling most affectionately upon him. 
With supreme gentleness and compassion, she replied, and these words should reverberate from the walls of every church, every home, and every school in Christendom. Quote, Listen, and let it penetrate your heart, my dear little son. Do not be troubled or weighted down with grief. Do not fear any illness or vexation, anxiety or pain. Am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not your fountain of life? Are you not in the folds of my mantle, in the crossing of my arms? Is there anything else you need? She again paused, gazing sympathetically upon him and continued, Do not let this illness of your uncle worry you, because he is not going to die of this sickness. At this very moment, he is cured. After these soothing words of encouragement, Our Lady ordered Juan to climb up the hill, and there at the top he would find the sign the bishop needed. Go, my son, to the summit of the hill. There you will find a large variety of flowers. Gather them carefully and assemble them, then bring them here. Not stopping to ask how this could be, for it was well into winter, and all of the foliage had died, the unpretentious ambassador, trusting completely in his lady's word, hurried up the slope. And lo and behold, over the crest, he saw a brilliant panoply of the most exquisite flowers, including Castilian roses, blossoming in the frozen soil. Juan was struck with amazement. Now the bishop would surely believe him. Then, as he had been directed, he carefully gathered as many of them as he could fit into his outstretched tilma and brought them down to show to his queen. She then took the flowers and with her own hands rearranged them as only a woman can, saying as she did so, My little son, these varied flowers are the sign which you are to take to the bishop. Tell him in my name that in them he will recognize my will and that he must fulfill it. Hereupon she sent her emissary on his way, but first cautioned him not to allow anyone to see what he carried until he was before the bishop. Arriving at the palace with his precious burden, Juan politely asked once again to see the bishop. This time the servants angrily rushed out at him, threatening to drive him away, but Juan wouldn't budge. Courageously he stood his ground. They in turn heaped all kinds of insults upon him, and passing back through the metal gate, they clanged it shut in his face. There was no way, they told him, that he was going to see the bishop. Juan pleaded that this time the bishop would have to believe him. They had to let him in. But, he la but they laughed him to scorn. But he wasn't going to leave until he got an audience and that was final. So installing himself next to the gate, he purposefully began to make himself utterly obnoxious to the porters by continually pleading for admi admittance. Finally, one of the court officials noticed that the Indian was concealing something underneath his cloak. He approached and asked what it was, but Juan kept silent. At this the man got very angry, threatening to use force to find out, and Juan, drawing back, 
was compelled to let some of the attendants get a glimpse of the flowers. They could hardly believe what they saw. Someone rushed to the bishop's quarters to report the phenomenon. The bishop, and this was the first time he had been informed of Juan's arrival, hearing about the flowers, wondered exceedingly, and ordered the Indian to be brought in at once. With the bishop at this time was the new governor of Mexico. Finding himself standing before such illustrious personages, Juan Diego felt all the more nervous. But assuming a confident bearing that seemed to be a special charism for this momentous occasion, he bowed reverently, not kneeling, lest he lose his hold of the tilma. Then he recounted before his amazed listeners the entire story of what had happened at Tepayac, how the lady had promised a sign, how she had directed him to climb the hill, where he would find many flowers growing, how he had gathered them in his tilma, and how she had rearranged them with her own hand, telling him to take them to the bishop, that he might at last believe her message and fulfill her desire. Listening with rapt attention to every word his excited guest had to say, the bishop, chin in hand, was the picture of perplexity. Having finished the story, Juan took a deep breath and reaffirming his grip on the corners of the tilma, as he clutched it for the last time to his bosom, his voice rallied, Your Excellency, here is the sign you asked for. And opening his hands, the tilma fell, and from it, a celestial bouquet of multicolored blooms, mingled with Castilian roses, cascaded softly to the floor before the startled dignitaries, and perfumed the room with a heavenly aroma. The bishop jumped to his feet and stared at the roses, momentarily speechless. His prayer for peace had been answered. Then, as he lifted his eyes from the prodigy on the floor, there suddenly appeared on the Indian's tilma an image of the Blessed Virgin Mary in resplendent glory. The wooden floor resounded with the thump of bended knees as both dignitaries knelt in adoration caught in a timeless moment, with eyes riveted on the tilma, as though contemplating an apparition. Juan felt uneasy as he perceived the on Juan felt uneasy as he perceived that their gaze was no longer on the flowers but upon him, and looking down upon his garment, he saw the object of their veneration. It was she, the holy mother of the true God just as he had seen her on the hill. For a long time no words were spoken. When one beholds a miracle it is irreverent to speak. One cannot but keep silence, gaze, and adore. After some moments lost in eternity, the bishop, rising from the floor, embraced Juan Diego and begged his forgiveness for not having believed him sooner. Then... Reverently untying the precious relic from the bearer's neck, he carried it to his private chapel where he could venerate it alone. Of course, religious news travels fast, and so it didn't take long before word of the miracle spread throughout the city. Soon crowds of the anxious faithful converged upon the bishop's residence, piously demanding to see the image. 
All that day and overnight, Juan remained at the bishop's house as his most honored guest. But when morning came, he was desirous to return to his uncle and assist him in his recovery. Before setting out for his home, he conducted the bishop to the Payac Hill and pointed out the exact spot where the Mother of God wanted her church to be built. Then, accompanied by a host of attendants from the palace and with his own personal guard of honor, he returned to his uncle. The pilgrim would never travel alone anymore. Remember that Our Lady had appeared to Juan Diego on the very spot where the devil, the infernal serpent, had inspired the false worship of the snake-bedecked mother goddess. And two, the natives had long worshipped Quetzalcoatl, the stone serpent, as a deity, indeed, as the mightiest of all their gods. Was it not then fitting that the Queen of Heaven, who so ardently desired to save these poor souls, should identify herself in the role that God ordained for her in Genesis 3 as the woman who would one day crush the serpent's head? The symbolism is overwhelmingly clear. After Juan Diego had designated to the bishop the exact spot where the woman wanted her church built, construction of a temporary edifice got underway immediately. In just two weeks' time, a handsome little chapel of no unworthy architecture was completed. On the Feast of St. Stephen, the day after Christmas, the sacred image was carried in triumphal procession from the city to its new home. It was quite a sight. Never had Mexico seen such jubilee. Overnight, morning had turned into joy. With Juan Diego walking closest to Our Lady in the place of honor, the bishop uh, by his side, his uncle right behind, and next to him, his good friend, the conqueror himself, the Marquis Hernando Cortez, and his wife, the whole population followed in procession, and they arrived at the chapel to enthrone the image of Guadalupe amidst unprecedented exuberance. The Indians especially were swept away with, with an elation that knew no bounds. Their voices thundered all around the hills with audacious but holy pride as they chanted, The Virgin is one of us. Our pure mother, our sovereign lady, is one of us. What an answer to the inhumanity of slavery. How could, any, how could one any longer enslave the son of a queen before whom every king must bow? In a transport of enthusiasm, one group of young warriors took their bows and celebrated by sending a pretty volley of arrows flying through the air. Unfortunately, they were not too careful where they aimed, and one of the shafts struck a spectator, piercing his neck and killing him instantly. The poor native was picked up by his sorrowing friends and carried into the new chapel where they placed him at the feet of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Here, in the presence of her who had promised to be their consolation, they pathetically pleaded that she not allow such a solemnity be, to be marred by such a tragedy. Everyone together prayed for a miracle. Please, the Christian Indians prayed, let our brothers who are still in the darkness of idolatry see the power of the Holy Virgin of Tepayac. All of a sudden the dead man opened his eyes and rose up on his feet fully recovered. Spaniards and Indians jumped for joy, 
spontaneously embracing one another with true brotherly affection. Uh, Let me interject here a little prayer, a kind of echo of the prayer of the Indians who were friends of the poor man who had been killed. They prayed together for a miracle. Please let our brothers who are still in the darkness of idolatry see the power of the Holy Virgin of Tepayak. And so let me echo that prayer and say that let our brothers who are still in the darkness of idolatry, in the darkness of paganism, in the darkness of uh, atheistic communism, in the darkness of depravity, in the darkness of the underbelly of the political sphere, see the power of the Holy Virgin of Tepayac, see the power of Our Lady of Guadalupe, see the power of the patroness of the Americas, and see her defeat Satan in their midst. And as the dead man instantly opened his eyes and rose up on his feet, perhaps some of us can see a metaphor there for the outcome we hope to see come with the victory of Our Lady of Guadalupe in saving our country from the darkness of idolatry and essentially communist atheism. Anyway, the aftermath. At the bishop's request, Juan Diego moved to a little apartment prepared for him adjacent to the chapel. He was to be Our Lady of Guadalupe's honor guard, the custodian of her house, and a sort of tour guide for the barrage of pilgrims that immediately descended upon Tepeyac Hill. The Indian who was killed during the inauguration ceremony and brought back to life by Our Lady's intercession remained at the shrine with Juan Diego. For the rest of his life, the grateful native swept the chapel floor and did other menial jobs as a token of appreciation for what his holy mother had done for him. So from for, so far so from far and wide the natives came to see the miraculous image and Juan Diego became a preacher. By 1541, just 10 years after the apparitions, there were 10 million Indians who had been converted from paganism. Just before Our Lady's coming, the missionaries were able to pour the saving waters of baptism upon the heads of only one million natives, and most of those were orphaned children, victims of war, whom the loving padres had adopted and educated. Such a mass conversion was an unprecedented phenomenon, the likes of which had never been witnessed in any country of the world. Father Tor- Toribio, in his Indian history, relates, he was an eyewitness, quote, Had I not witnessed it with my own eyes, I should not venture to report it. I have to affirm that another priest and myself, in just five days, baptized 14,200 and more souls. And just to say that the Indians sought baptism is an understatement. They literally came in tears, begging the Padres for it. For the same author elsewhere tells of different incidents where the friars, upon entering a village, would be accosted by entire families, pleading in tears to be made Christians, while making frantic gestures for the water to be poured on their heads. So ends the account of the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I hope you've uh, learned something 
and I hope that you have been inspired. And perhaps more than anything else, I hope that it uh, reinforces our belief in, our faith in, our Blessed Mother's intercession on our behalf, love of us, protective love, and that it inspires us to pray to her more fervently and more constantly in her role as patroness of the Americas to protect us, not only ourselves as individuals, not only the loved ones whom we love who might be sick or might be dying, like Juan Diego's uncle, um, not only to save those who are save the souls of those that we love who might be on the wrong path, but also to save our society, to save our country as the patroness of the Americas, as she saved Mexico from the horrible scourge of demonic paganism. So with that, I've come to the end of our time. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Showman. And uh, it's time to say goodbye. I ask, humbly ask you to join us again next week, same time, same place, for Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism. And I will uh, go out, so to speak, with, um, again, that beautiful hymn to, um, it's called Il Canto del Manto de Guadalupe, the hymn of the Tilma of Guadalupe. So, Hope to see you again next week. Bye for now. Keep a show in each
关系。哇、啊！